Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, with all of his silver-throated tones, here is Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing this morning? I'm lonesome. <laughs> well, there's not going to be a lot of people coming out on the roads today. You know, I have at least 375 things to get done before this weekend, and I'm not even going to get one of them done today. This is getting old, man. I'm Ooh. sick of snow. A lot of schools closed today. Oh, my. Well, you made it to a telephone, thank goodness for that, with your little bunny slippers on, sitting at home by the kitchen table. What's going on in the world of Dr. History? Well, we are going to talk about the military in the Old West. Okay. We're going to talk about the infantryman, and we've discussed around this a little bit, but uh, I thought this would be a good one to, to talk about today. So, uh, anyway, uh, an infantry soldier uh, basically headed into the field carrying most of his personal supplies on his back. Uh-huh. Uh, essential items in his field kit, uh, particularly if combat was going to be coming on, consisted basically of a quart canteen of water, a rifle, an ammunition bandolier or a belt uh, with a cartridge box, a box of 40 extra cartridges, and a bayonet with a 21-inch blade. Mm. Now, they carried that in a leather scabbard hanging from their belt, but, you know, bayonets were eventually given up basically in the West because most of the fighting uh, of the Indians was not hand-to-hand combat. So carrying the bayonet was just kind of useless. So pretty much they quit carrying those. So, But they carried their rifles uh, with a uh, leather shoulder strap, just kind of like, you know, the pictures that we see. But the infantry's, uh, they had a loop cartridge belt that held 40 or 50 rounds of ammunition uh, ready for use. The soldiers also carried from 40 to 150 rounds of extra ammunition in their backpack. They, they call it a knapsack. I've always called it a backpack. But mm-hmm. Anyway, additional reserve ammunition was carried in a supply wagon or on a pack mule packaged in wooden boxes of 1,000 rounds each. So even on a routine patrol, the supply column might take as many as 10,000 rounds of ammunition, which would be distributed among the company of 50 men, or which would be about 200 rounds uh, per soldier. So, you know, they had quite a bit of ammunition, but you know, if they get to shooting like they like they do, that can be uh, they can run out of ammunition pretty fast. Well, yeah, but wait a minute. You're talking about all this ammo, and you're talking about the bayonets, and you're talking about what about food? <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know, in addition to weapons and ammunition, the infantrymen carried all of their individual equipment and supplies. So here's what he carried. Each man carried a half a tent. Oh, my. Okay, and a wool blanket and a rubberized waterproof blanket, which could be spread on the ground for sleeping and worn over the shoulders and tied with a cord in the rain. The men might be issued a field poncho, which was... Essentially, the same rubber blanket, just with a hole slit up there for you to put your head through. Yeah. So, but a soldier might also carry some spare clothing and overcoat for cold weather. But in the summer, those things were usually left behind. But when under the threat of an Indian attack, each soldier carried enough personal 
rations to last him for two or three days. Oh. So these provisions usually consisted of several pounds of salted meat, hardtack, uh, about 12 biscuits a day. Now, hardtack, if, if you don't know what that is, that's basically nothing more than water and flour. And if they were lucky, they got a little salt mixed in with it. And hardtack actually originated with the uh, British Navy. Yeah. The British ships. And, and it's really uh, about as good and tasty as chewing on a hockey puck. <laughs> or, or cardboard, I, I can imagine. <laughs> but, so they had their, their hardtack and some coffee. They had a meat can for the soldiers' <laughs> ration of a kind of a greasy pork. Uh, and that could also be used for boiling coffee, this, this can. Okay. Uh, rations and utensils were carried in a cotton. They call it a haversack or a bread bag, which was worn over one shoulder. So that's kind of what they, uh, what they would look like uh, hiking through the, through the country. But to carry their extra clothing and personal supplies, the infantrymen were issued a knapsack. Now, this was a pack made from a cotton cloth. Now, what they did is they covered this with a tar-like black paint to make it waterproof. Uh-huh. But in hot weather, this tar-like paint Ooh. sometimes became soft and sticky and oh. just smeared everywhere. I mean, you can just imagine that, uh, you know, in, in the hot sun with this tar stuff sticking to your side. But How much? Anyway, the packs were, were hot and uncomfortable caused a lot of muscle soreness uh-huh. in the men's backs and shoulders. Uh, a lot of the soldiers actually adopted a different method of carrying their belongings. What they did is they rolled up their personal items in their blanket and tied the ends together, and then they would sling this over their shoulders. And, and you've seen pictures of that. Oh, yeah. You know, with, with their blanket just tied on each end and carried over their shoulder. Well, so, normally when you come here to the studio in the morning, that's how you come in the door. That's right. <laughs> With my snowshoes, right? <laughs> right. But how much did all of this weigh? I mean, holy smokes, that had to be, all the stuff you're mentioning had to be some heft to it. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I'm going to mention that. It, you're, we're talking up to about 50 pounds. Ooh. Wow. And, and we're talking walking. You know, they, these guys aren't riding the horses. Okay, so we're talking about the knapsack or the blanket roll that they carried, and that usually contained a few small personal items. Uh, they would have a razor, a comb, a bar of soap, a plug of tobacco, a pipe, matches, a Bible, a deck of cards, pencil and paper, a candle, a sewing kit, and maybe a picture of their family or their wife or their sweetheart. So, But the sewing kit, they nicknamed it Housewife. And it was used frequently to mend clothing, which was often worn for months at a time during a campaign. And... <laughs> You know, pretty hard use in the field. Uh, besides being poorly made in the first place, the sewing needle could also be used to, to puncture and drain a blister or take out a splinter or, you know, so it's kind of a first aid kit almost. Right. But, uh, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they even used that to sew up cuts. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure guys, if you guys cut themselves with their knives or their hatchets or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the sewing kit would come in handy there. But anyway, when all these supplies were loaded up, the soldier's gear usually weighed about 50 pounds. Wow. Now, his rifle alone weighed almost 7 pounds, and so carrying this, uh, they typically marched at 10 to 15 miles a day. And although it's not unusual for them to go as much as 20 miles in a day, and so you can imagine, you know, uh, the shoulder and back pain of carrying this uh, for mile after mile and 
probably places where it was either really rough going or desert. So. You know, let me ask you a question there, because in most, and I'm not saying all, but in most of the Western movies, we always see them as a cavalry. And uh, we see them riding, and you very, very seldom, and I'm trying to think of any Western movies from Hollywood from the 40s on to now, that have ever showed them as actually going out marching in the desert southwest after, like, the Apaches, etc. Am I wrong? No, that's true. And so that's that's one of the misconceptions, you know, that they just figure all the military people were on horseback, and they weren't. But that's, you know, that's also the misconception about the forts. You know, a lot of the forts, they can picture with uh, the wooden uh, yeah. uh, fence around the whole fort. And, in fact, a lot of them were just nothing more than a few buildings right. and tents. Well, you know, and what you said right there really makes a lot of sense, because here you are in the desert southwest, and out in the arid deserts, and in most of the movies, they will be riding into or out of these great big pine log fortresses. Where in the world did they get all the pines? (laughs) From Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, the usual campaign clothing was what they called a blue undress uniform, and I don't know why they call it an undress uniform, but it consisted of a simple dark blue, uh, they call it a blouse, I would call it a shirt, with five buttons, and instead of lace-up shoes, the infantrymen generally wore boots uh, when marching, and they often tucked their trouser legs into the boots, or tied them with a string to keep out the dust and the mud and the snow, and then they had a broad-brimmed soft felt uh, hat uh, for protection from the sun. But keeping warm was a challenge. I mean, in the wintertime, especially in the mountains, I mean, we've lived here, Zeb. We've seen the mountains and the plains when it gets cold. Yep. I mean, it can get, you know, way below zero. Yeah, but even the same, though, Doc, in the summertime, in the desert, there is a little bit of a chill that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, daytime, you can be sweating at night, you can freeze to death. Yep. But until the mid-1870s, when the Army Quartermaster began issuing heavy-duty coats and fur mittens, the soldiers had to provide their own outerwear, uh, consisting usually of, like, buffalo robes, I guess, when they could get them, woolen mittens, uh, muskrat furs, uh, caps with ear flaps. And the men also figured out how to make Army blankets into heavy-duty underwear. Oh, really? I thought you'd like that. Uh, not particularly, but it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this this one general, uh, he describes it this way. He says, for underwear, the general idea being to have at least two kinds of material used, principally a stuff, something called merino, which is a type of a wool, and perforated buckskin. Oh, my. <laughs> that was somehow put together in a combination to make their underwear. So you, you, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. You talk about a buffalo robe, though. I mean, you and I both know that when you're talking about a buffalo robe to wear and keep warm in the winter on a march, that's not exactly the lightest piece of equipment either. Yeah, and, and I don't know if they actually carried them, because usually they did have wagons with them to carry, you know, food and supplies. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they were able to put their robes over on the wagon. I don't know. But anyway, you know, and as you mentioned, marching in hot weather was, uh, it was rough. I mean, the Army uniforms were heavy. Uh, the troopers often stripped down to their shirts or actually cut off the sleeves and the legs of their long underwear to be more comfortable. And 
soldiers in the deserts of the Southwest often they became coated with alkali and dust, you know, and uh, a lot of the men covered their noses and mouths with their handkerchiefs to kind of filter out the dust a little bit. Uh, but by the end of the campaign, the clothes were in rags, the boots were worn out, their hair was long, scraggly beards, and uh, preparations for long marches uh, didn't leave a lot of time for personal hygiene. Yeah. In other words, they didn't take a shower every night. But I got a question about the boots. Now, it would be so easy to overlook the fact that if it's an infantry and they're walking, they need to have the best footwear as, as was made during that time. But what did they do if all of a sudden they split out a boot or they lost the heel on a boot or the soles went out or whatever? I mean, how did they fix that? You know, and everybody's feet are different sizes, you know. And But back then, I think they made a kind of a generic size and if you fit it if your foot went in you got to wear it oh good good but custer actually he he made this note he said a soldier's toilet on an indian campaign is a simple affair and requires little time for arranging his clothes are gathered up hurriedly no matter how so long as he retains possession of them oh my now that's what custer said about it so, oh my! You know, and what did they get paid, by the way, per month? It was like fifteen bucks, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean it was it was nothing. I mean now the scouts and those guys, some of them got paid very well. Oh, I mean some of the, the main scouts, but of course they weren't really military. Boy, the scout that was scouting for General Custer got paid way too much. <laughs> uh, he might have gone the other direction, but. Anyway, you know, whenever possible, the soldiers in the field, they tried to find a campsite near water, uh, not only for themselves, but for the horses and the mules. And if, because if the horses were uh, unable to be used, the men in the mission would be immobilized. So some water could be carried in the wagons, but their capacity was only so much. So it was vital that they find rivers and streams and lakes and ponds along the way. And uh, mules could tolerate going without water for, you know, quite a while, but a horse can't. Right. They've got to have water. But a few soldiers' journals have mentioned a scarcity of water on campaign, and the animals just, you know, suffering through it. And, you know, they probably lost a lot of horses and, and mules. Oh, I'm sure they did. But, you know, really when you think about it, what a gruesome, hard lifestyle being in the United States Army back during the 1870s, during the Indian campaigns, if you were afoot, Holy cow. The Indians in the Southwest were some of the greatest, I'll use this terminology, athletes. I've read about them, and they were trained to be able to run and walk for days without um, any water or any kind of amenities. And going up against these soldiers, it was kind of a mismatch. Well, and they were amazing horsemen. I mean, they could ride, of course, bareback. I mean, full speed and shoot arrows about as fast as, uh, you know, if they were on foot. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, likewise, before seeing to their own needs, the cavalrymen had to take care of the horses. And as soon as they stopped to make camp, the men unsaddled, watered, and fed the animals. If the campsite was in a grassy area, uh, the animals could graze, but the horses also needed uh, supplemental grain. Yeah. And this was carried along uh, uh, either in saddlebags or in the supply wagons. And the horses would be tethered to the ground with a picket pin or tied to a tree. But while the animals were tended to, among the first tasks in setting up camp was making the fires for cooking. And generally, a few men were detailed to go out and gather wood. Or in places where there were no trees, 
uh, good old buffalo chips were used, and I'm sure that smelled really good cooking your dinner over. Well, why don't you tell my audience that might not be aware of it, what really is comprised of being a buffalo chip? <laughs> when a buffalo eats something in the front end, something has to come out the back end. <laughs> and I think that pretty well describes it. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, and actually, these droppings were also known as prairie coal or Dakota Soft Coal, and I'm sure some other nicknames that we probably can't even say here. But anyway, sometimes if the troops were close to hostile uh, Indian, you know, fires were not allowed uh, to give away their position. And some yeah. men had to eat cold rations and do without their coffee. But anyways, you know, on small patrols, uh, the soldiers uh, set up their evening camp in pairs. And uh, this kind of is interesting. They slept two to a tent. Because each pair strip spread their rubber blankets or ponchos on the ground. Then they put together their tent halves, which were sheets of heavy cotton canvas, and that fastened together with buttons. Oh. So the combined tarp, about five feet square, was strung over a piece of rope, tied to two trees, or simply stretched between a couple of poles or rifles, and then staked down with pegs. So this uh, early version was opened at each end, and later models had flaps to shut out the weather, but the soldiers called these shelters dog tents or pup tents. Oh. And we've all heard of the pup tent. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> can you imagine two guys in there that have been walking for a month? Uh, uh, anyway. Nope. Open. Not going to go there. Leave the doors open, the tent flats up. Yes, you betcha. But, you know, really, you said that each soldier carried half a tent. That's right. interesting. Yeah, that's so they could, like I say, they'd put them yeah. together and sleep yeah. two to a pup tent. Oh, be darned. Anyway, uh, you know, they said it was a pup tent because it's big enough for a dog, and that was about it. Yeah. So, you know, to stay warm as well as to maintain battle readiness, the troops in the field slept with their clothes on. Oh, boy. <laughs> so the soldiers on campaign were issued only one woolen blanket each, and a lot of them took along an extra blanket if they could get their hands on one. Yeah. But the cavalrymen had the advantage of using their saddle blanket for an additional covering. Mm-hmm. And on cold nights, two men, or sometimes three, would huddle together and share the blankets, try to keep warm. And the practice of men sharing a bed both in the military and in civilian life was not considered unusual. And so two soldiers shared a tent and often sought uh, you know, fought side by side with each other. It would have been a great right guard commercial. <laughs> it would have been. <laughs> you know, now on the major campaigns, supply wagons often carried some large, what they call conical tents, and they called them Sibley tents. And they were large enough to sleep about 10 to 15 men, and these tents were round, and the men actually slept in a circle like the spokes of a wheel, really? with their heads pointing out and their feet toward the center. Really? Uh, yeah, so anyway, the Sibley tent, and they had one called the Sibley stove, which was a small, portable iron stove intended for field use, and it was named after their inventor, a guy named General Henry Sibley. So did they take their boots off? I can just imagine the melee that they had in the morning. Hey, you got my size 9. No, I got a size 12 over here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just try to imagine what that experience would have been like. I mean, I've camped up in the mountains and in the snow and stuff, and, and I had good stuff to use, you know, but 
I don't know. It sounds like quite an experience. Well, listen, you did a great job again this morning, even though it had to be via long distance, Dr. History. And uh, please drive carefully going from your living room to the kitchen. (laughs) I'll do my best. Okay. You have a good day, Zach. God bless you, man. Thanks.